All right, I have so much to say. Like literally, you're gonna get three messages in one uh, today, like it or not. And so I'm just gonna pray and we're gonna, we're gonna roll at this. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you're moving. Thank you that you're guiding. Thank you that you're calling us to be more like you. And God, we wanna, we wanna answer the call. We wanna hear your voice, know what you're saying. Understand your way of living so that we can be faithful to walk like you and talk like you and love like you and live like you. This is our heart. It's why we're here. But we need your help. So Holy Spirit of God, clear out the clutter that is in my mind and in the minds of my brothers and sisters so that we can, we can see Jesus with clarity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says uh, amen. So last week we looked, if you missed it, uh, at what the Bible, what the scriptures teach about LGBTQIA+, and how we can apply the scriptures to modern conversations. If you missed last week, please look, go back, watch, listen. If you were here last week, go back, watch, listen, because until our minds are grounded on the same playing field of what the Bible says and doesn't say, it's hard to apply it. So I would encourage you to do it. And if you're just new, if you're visiting, I saw some people I haven't seen in a while, welcome. Uh, we're in this eight-week conversation about Jesus and sexuality. It comes out of 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to see it again in chapter 6 and 7. But we wanted to pause and think about this culture that we live in because Corinth had their cultural issues that Paul's like really writing to. He's not writing theory. He's answering their real questions. And so we're hoping to do that. But all eight, if you're gonna, if you're gonna say, oh, I don't know, you have to listen, watch, absorb all eight to get the full story. But let me just summarize. This is gonna sound blunt, but we've taken six weeks to get here. The scriptures clearly do not condone same-sex activity or sex outside of marriage or pornography. Everything outside of God's vision seen in Genesis 1 and 2 and following is consistent. God creates, and as he creates human beings, he has a vision for their life. We're created in the image of God, so we're image bearers because we're not self-made, we're made by God. God lays out for his creation how sex can be the most beautiful and wonderful expression of love in the right way, and that is one natural-born man, one natural-born woman together in a covenant lifelong relationship that we have traditionally called marriage. None of that's new. We've kind of unpacked that. The challenge today is the word marriage is used in various expressions. And so now there is the Christian understanding of marriage. There's the cultural understanding of marriage, and they are not the same thing. But at the same token, we ended last week with a reality check. Uh, just because this is what the Bible teaches doesn't give us the right to treat people like dirt. It doesn't. As a matter of fact, we're going to see today uh, three things. We're going to see first the life of Jesus, but I want you to see this is beyond issues. This isn't about issues. This isn't about HR policies. Uh, this isn't about how you vote. This is about people. People that God loves. People that we're going to celebrate here in a few weeks that the Son of God came to rescue. People that Jesus cares about. People, as we're going to see in a moment, that, that Jesus would eat with. And so let's not look at this as being right on issues. Let's look at this as having a right biblical worldview so that we can love people well. Okay, three things we're going to do today, and we're going to do them fast. No, actually, we're just going to do them. First, I want us to look at how Jesus approached people who lived differently. We looked at a, a biblical theology of sexuality, but now let's narrow and focus in on how Jesus approaches people. Second, I want us to look at how we can navigate our differences in healthy ways. In other words, what do we do when we disagree with another Jesus follower about a topic, whether it's human sexuality or anything else? I want us to learn the art of disagreeing agreeably because it is a lost art. It is a lost art in our culture and we as the people of God can redeem it. Third thing, I wanna start walking through some specific questions that I mentioned last week. I won't get to all of them, but we're gonna hit as many as we can. And then we're gonna do another whole week with more Q&R, and then we're gonna do a podcast or two to fill in the gaps where we couldn't do it on Sunday. That's 
the plan. Okay, let's start with Jesus, and here's what I need you to trust me on. John 4 is the basis of everything I'm about to say, but because of time, and again, I'm doing three in one, but I felt like they were necessary in the same conversation. Before your community group this afternoon or this week, read the first half of John 1 and Jesus in his conversation with a woman who lived in Samaria. That's the basis. I'm gonna look at five things. I'm gonna go kind of rapid fire because you're thinking people, you can read the text and see where they fit. So I won't quote all the verses. Many of us, we actually know this encounter quite well. How did Jesus interact with people who lived quite differently from him? Five things. Number one, Jesus is not afraid to engage in conversation. John 4, 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, who starts the conversation? <laughs> it's right there, Jesus. <laughs> She's just doing life. She's going to the place where everyone goes to get their water every single day, and Jesus could have snubbed her. Jesus probably, culturally, should have avoided her. He does not. Jesus engages not in her background, not in their differences. He finds common ground. He's really thirsty, it's the desert, and she has a tool to get water. And so Jesus is not afraid to engage in conversations with people that are different. So let me just ask you, what do you have in common with people who live differently that can spark conversation? Find the common ground. Because Jesus has every reason to avoid her. Number one, in their culture, he is a man, and he's a single man, and she is a woman in their culture, especially in the Jewish culture, a single man or a married man is not gonna have a conversation with a woman alone. It's seen as inappropriate. And so Jesus could have let that be a barrier, but he doesn't. The second thing, and the bigger thing, is that if you know the culture, the Samaritan people, there were thousands of years of cultural and religious differences that kept these people apart. They didn't, quote, go to church together. They didn't worship together. Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, and they found their, Samaritan people found their own place of worship. They had different temples. They, they read different Bibles. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible, and the Jewish people accepted all of what we now call the Old Testament. There were all sorts of reasons why Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, should not talk. Here's the point. You've got to grasp this when you read John. Jesus is shocking by the people he talks to and spends time with. And so let me just ask you, what fears or stereotypes are keeping you from people? I'm gonna be honest. I think many of the reasons, many of the times, we don't, as Jesus' people, engage with people who are different is because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid they're gonna ask a question we don't have an answer to. We're, we're, we're afraid if they might be right on some things we thought they were wrong about. We're, we're afraid we're afraid of conflict, and Jesus is not. He breaks down all the barriers. Second thing we see in Jesus is Jesus asks good, quest good questions and listens well. He starts with the question, will you give me a drink? She's got a bucket. He doesn't. And then she's like, what? Uh, well, water? How could you ask me for a drink? And Jesus replies, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you Living water, Jesus engages in a natural conversation. Good questions are open-ended questions. Jesus starts not around theology, not around marriage, not around ethics. He, they, they both are there for the same thing. And certainly, we can grow in learning to ask good questions and listening. And if you read this conversation in detail, what you're gonna see is what Jesus shares comes out of her responses. She'll share something about their religious and biblical differences, and Jesus will get it back on track by, by giving the real reason that the Bible is teaching what it teaches. But Jesus gets to her deepest need naturally. It's not the first thing. And I think sometimes we, we have this mistaken notion that we gotta get to the heart of our differences really fast. When rather, just ask someone, tell me your life story, and really listen. Now, if you don't care about their life story, don't ask. But I think we can grow in wanting, uh, I'm just curious about people, so give me, give me everything about you. 
Really? Yeah, give me whatever you want to give me. Because we will understand people as we listen to them share their story. And what you're going to find is as Jesus followers, you have the same Holy Spirit that's living in Jesus. By the way, Jesus has insight into her life because the Holy Spirit is at work in him. Yes, he's the Son of God, but he is the Son of God who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So you never know when God can give you insight to lovingly move a conversation along if you'll actually have conversation. But it's gotta begin with just getting to know people just because they matter and they're interesting and everyone's got a story to share. And by the way, you win people over by listening, not by talking. You ask the good questions. Tell me about your life. Tell me about this. What do you love to do? Like, look, if you don't have to work unless all you love to do is work, what would you want to do? If there's anywhere in the world that you'd like to live, what would it be and why? What's your favorite food? What's your, what's your, what's your, what's your, and just let people share about them because what you're going to find is people are more interesting than you give them credit for. And more often than not, when we're connecting with people on water, some things will bubble up, pun intended. And, 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 that was really bad. That was on a left field. But we have one podcast, and it's in there. Okay, uh, I know this to be true because I love to golf, and I golfed yesterday, and I, I golfed twice yesterday because it was just snowing, so why not? But I, I was, I, yeah, thank you, <laughs> at the reserve, bro, and I should have invited you. But I was around people who don't follow Jesus and just asking questions about themselves. It's amazing what you'll find out, and I have nothing in common with the people that I golfed with yesterday, absolutely nothing in common, and I, I love nonverbal feedback when you say you're a preacher, like, oh, that's interesting, and then you keep moving along, but you can have these conversations with strangers if you're on common ground, and so what can you do to connect with people? Third thing, Jesus speaks in a way that invites more conversation. So look at verses 16 the following. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And then Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. He's not shaming her. He's moving the conversation along. Bring back the people that you're closest to. Well, I don't have a husband. Okay, but they're... You can bring the town back because at this point, you'll see in the story, she doesn't end the conversation. She doesn't ignore the conversation. What Jesus has to say about her life actually draws her in, and she's curious to know more. If we just commit to keeping the conversation open as much as we can, look, some people just don't want to talk, and you get to a point, they're like, I don't want to hear it. At that point, we can pull back and we can pray, and we can love them, and we can still engage in matters that don't have to do with that particular topic. You don't have to be hard-nosed, and God has his way of getting people's attention. You matter, but you're not the center of the universe. And God could use other means. We share as much as we can. We love deeply, and Jesus doesn't shy away from the truth. And what you'll see is, as he speaks the truth in a tone, in a way that's loving, She's not only personally impacted, but she wants to invite everyone out to meet this man who is the good news. So I think what we can do is find our way to keep the conversation moving. And it starts with personal things and it moves towards personal spiritual things, but you go as far as you can. Number four, Jesus models a way of life that his disciples should follow. And this is huge. Uh, verse 27 uh, at the end of their encounter, Jesus, uh, just then the disciples returned as she's going back to, to get her, her live-in boyfriend or whoever she's with in the town. And they were surprised to find him talking with the woman and no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then Jesus very perceptively makes this a teachable moment. And he makes a line. I know I'm jumping here. He says in the conversation, my food is to do and finish the Father's work. And so they were all hungry and tired. It's why the disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Jesus is alone. He has this encounter. The disciples are thrown off. Why is he talking with this lady? And they're like, Rabbi, I have something to eat. And he's like, guys, you need to learn something here. There's a reason we're here. And this 
person is the reason I am here. And that's very convicting. If you have a very negative view of people who differ, you, differ than you on sexual orientation or human sexuality, I hope that Jesus is confronting you as he confronts them. That she is not like a side story. Now, by the way, they're not stopping. They didn't come to Samaria to come to Samaria. They're going to Jerusalem. This is just on the way. But for Jesus, there's no such thing as on the way. He's always looking to share good news and be good news to people. And so I think we can learn from this. The way we treat people who are different today will guide how the next generation treats people tomorrow. And that ought to be sobering to all of us. The way we treat human beings today, whether they agree or disagree, is the way that the next generation will view it tomorrow. Now they'll either catapult and reject everything we do because they're like, that is terrible and unloving. Or if we follow the means, the way of Jesus, where he's absolutely secure in the truth, but he's loving and caring and thoughtful and he's conversational, if we can get it right, Bottom line, I, I have not always been very loving. <laughs> I'm not always very loving right now. But when it comes to people who are different than me, I am the arguer, like I've said it again and again and again. I am literally convinced I'm right. And sometimes I'm right, and I hate to be wrong. So I'm more concerned about winning the argument than the person. That's just my, my default mode, and that's not helpful and it could be sinful at times. So what we need to do is face the mirror who is Jesus and say, Jesus, expose things about me that are unlike you because I'm actually not representing me to the world. I'm actually representing you. And if we do that, we can turn the tide where people see Jesus' followers as considerate, loving, caring people who have deep convictions. Not considering loving people who will do anything just to appease everyone. That's not helpful. But we can be known as a community that like, has real convictions about things that matter and know what we believe and why we believe it. And we can be committed to that and loving and caring and considerate and kind at the same time. Here's the funny thing. We could be like Jesus. <laughs> Who is those things, right? Number five, and then we're gonna move on to how to... How to disagree agreeably as Christians. Number five, Jesus changes his schedule to make room for people. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Quote, he told me everything I ever did. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. I think this is telling, John tells us, they stayed, because John's with them, they stayed two more days. Uh, this wasn't just a chance encounter, this was God's plan. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, to finish his Father's work. That's what fuels him, that's his food. And so Jesus changes his schedule to fit the opportunity. And I, I, think, uh, I, I think we need to remember that the context of this happening is viewed as compromise to every religious leader. Jesus, the rabbi, should not be eating with these Samaritans. Now we look at Jesus, we applaud Jesus, man, like you, you changed, no, he changed his calendar to be with a group of people that his very own people despised. So I'm gonna assume something, the text doesn't say it, but I'm assuming he accepted their hospitality and they fed him and he ate their food. I, the Bible doesn't say it. I'm gonna assume he slept in their house. All of this would have been scandalous for a Jewish rabbi in their day, and yet Jesus is unafraid to risk his human reputation and to be misunderstood for the love and good and good news to people who are far from God. Now, if that doesn't upset you, don't know what is. I think we, are so afraid at times of what people might think 
that we can withhold love and withhold care and withhold attention and, 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 and almost dehumanize people who disagree with you to say, well, uh, this is us and they are them. And to Jesus, there is no them. It's people. And so if you're upset at me, let's talk about how to disagree. <laughs> Part two, okay? Now, you could be upset at me all, all that you want, but I think, I'm, I think I'm representing Jesus properly. And so maybe Jesus is upsetting you. I'll leave that to you. Okay, second thing. Um, because of the various nuances that there are today and how to live out a biblical worldview in a world that has so many worldviews, many in conflict with the way of Jesus, we're gonna have to start to ask ourselves, how do we actually do this? We'll get to some Q&A and we'll figure out a few answers. But what I just taught, hold as this is the word of God, I think I interpreted it decently. Um, that's that. Now I'm gonna move to opinion, okay? You just need to know this. This was a Bible teaching now followed by a biblically informed opinion and I want you to take it as that. One of my mentors, Gary Brashears, who teaches at Western Seminary, he's taught here before, and he's been a leader to so many in this church. He is a helpful grid because when you study the Bible and study the things of God, Christians are not gonna agree on everything, and you need to have a framework to know how do I discuss issues of disagreement and still be the family of God. And he has four layers I wanna go through with you that's gonna help you with any conflict. How do we express our differences in healthy ways. There are four, they all start with a D to keep it memorable. And the first one is there are things that are to die for. The first thing I need to do when asking a question about differences that we have is, is this an issue? You know, you know the old saying, this is a hill I'm gonna die on? Don't think literally. And this is not talking about murdering people, okay? But there are some issues that are so big uh, that in, in the context of the Bible, you would say, can someone really follow Jesus and have that position? Like, this issue is so elevated, it's so central, or if this church holds this issue, is it a historic biblical orthodox church, or are they using the name church and they're actually not part of the people of God? Now, there are some things that fit this category. I'm gonna give you a few, there are others that Jesus is the Son of God. If someone says Jesus is a Son of God, or lowercase, like he's one of the many created beings of God, that is unorthodox, that is unbiblical, and that is, in a sense, if you come from that perspective, you're of a different faith. I respect you, I love you, but you're not a historic biblical Christian. If someone were to say that Jesus didn't really die and rise again to pay for our sin, to deny the resurrection, that's a hill to die on. That would, that would be like, I understand what you're saying, I understand your perspective, but we must agree to disagree. That is not a Christian understanding. To use the term Christian is to misalign what that, that statement means. Um, someone says Jesus isn't the only way to God. That's, that, is a, that is a level of argumentation. That, that's an issue. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, which is all-inclusive, comes to the Father except through me. So to, to, to deny what Jesus has said, that is an issue where we can be loving, kind, charitable. I hear what you're saying. Let me just push back for a little bit. Ooh, I, I hear why. I totally get it. Yeah, that's just not orthodox, historic, biblical Christianity. You can have that opinion, can you please call it something else? Because to be Christian is to say that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Okay, what I wanna suggest is there are fewer issues in life that are to die for. There are some, but they're not all-inclusive. And here's the trick, I'm gonna give you the other three. When I'm having a discussion with you, I need to ask and consider how you feel about the topic. Do you see this as a to die for? Because if I don't see it as a to die for and you see it as a to die for, we're never gonna reach common ground. So I have to analyze as a thinker, not only do how I see the issue, is this a to die for for me? Because some of you say like, well, I, I actually think there are many ways to, 
to God, and Jesus is just one of those ways. Okay, well, I'm seeing that as a to die for. If you're not, we're going to have a tough time reaching common ground. So we need to simply recognize that and get to the point where we will agree to disagree. Does that make sense? Okay, second one is there are issues we are to divide over. Uh, There are various churches in the Portland metro area. We're one of them. How come there are so many different kinds of churches? Because there are certain areas where we would say, can you be a part of the same church with these kinds of differences? And so when we're thinking through how we have discussions with one another and how we lovingly talk through categories, what are some healthy examples? I think baptism. Um, Who is baptized and when are they baptized and how are they baptized? There are honest differences within Jesus communities where all Jesus communities would agree that water baptism is part of the faith. Some would say it happens as a child. And you say, well, 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 they don't even know the gospel yet. Well, there are some, there are reasons why people baptize children, but you may, as you go through the text and you go through understandings, realize like, it's okay for you to hold that position. We're still in the same family. The to die for are of a, are you even a Christian? But the divide over is like, you're still a brother, you're still a sister, but you know what, as we're doing church, I don't know if, if it's gonna work and fit for us to do church together in a close way when there's a big difference. Do you sprinkle, do you immerse? Church leadership, is there one leader? Is it an elder team? What do men and women do and what roles do they play in leadership? There are areas where people say like, you're a church, we're a church, they're a church. But structurally, you'd say like, man, I wouldn't feel comfortable in that structure, that's okay. We're still brothers and sisters, we're just saying, hey, we're all gonna worship the king forever, in eternity, we're with him, but right now, it would be good for us to structure ourselves in various ways so that we're not, like my conscience isn't rubbed every time I see you do that or every time you do that, so we can agree to disagree and still love one another. We all believe in Jesus. Um, The work of the Holy Spirit, Uh, tongues, prophecy, healing, more. Churches say, well, I don't feel comfortable in that. And Well, if if this isn't a part of the expression, it's not full and robust. These are are what I would call secondary matters of faith. They matter, but they're not primary. And so we we should not be looking for more reasons to divide. Here's the trick. And Gary would say it again and again and again, when you're looking at any theological issue, I wanna push the issue down and not elevate it higher. If, it, if someone baptizes with the sprinkling of water instead of immersion, am I gonna say that the person's not a Christian? Like, can I say that with integrity? Is that being honest? Or is, have I elevate, elevated my conviction and made it a to die for? We have to be very careful is what I'm saying. And some of the, the reason I'm going through this is because we don't think about these things. And one person makes a comment and it triggers your to die for. And suddenly you're throwing a stone and they're just saying, I just shared my opinion. And that's just not helpful, okay? Third thing, third level, so there's to die for, there's to divide over, there is also to debate about. That is, are these preferences we just continue to talk about? It isn't a question, are you an authentic Christian or is this an authentic church? It's not even about like whether we would go to different churches over it, but there are real differences that we don't wanna overlook. We wanna be loving and caring. So these are ones I put in these categories. Uh, uh, Worship and teaching style. What kind of music do we sing? How do we approach learning the Bible? Is it contemporary? Is it traditional? Is it reflective? Are messages 15 minutes? Are they 45 minutes? Do we go through books of the Bible? Do we go through topics? That matters. Do we do communion? How often? Well, we do it once a month on the first Sunday of every month because that's what Jesus did. Like, what? Uh, We do it every week. Well, why do you guys do it every week? It's going to lose its value. Like, what? So, there, there, there might be differences, but what we want to do is take it from a die-for level if it's not legitimately there, or divide over. So can you be in this church and love 
Loud music? Yes. Could you be in this church and hate loud music? Yes. You, do you prefer topics over books of the Bible? We could still be a part, we should be a part of a community and not be looking to divide. We should push it down to a, these are Jesus' people, why don't we just keep talking about it and find common ground and get to some places where we just agree to disagree. Um, some of you, I, could, I already know that you're like, well, Jose, you got somebody who's in the wrong category. See, I, what I told you was at the end of John 4, I'm giving you my category here, right? So all I'm saying is these are things I would put in those categories. I'm not saying you have to put those in those categories, but I do know there are different levels of thinking, and there is the to die for, and there's the to uh, divide over, and there is the, it, the sometimes we just gotta disagree, and we debate about, that's fine. Fourth one. Um, there are some things that you're just supposed to decide personally. Is this something every Christian is free to choose? Everything doesn't have to be a group decision. There's freedom in Christ in a proper way. So there are certain topics where if you follow Jesus, you're also free to make decisions. Now I'm gonna give you a few. You may see this in, in the category, you may not. Um, how much do you give to God's work? Is it percentage? Is it 5%, 10%, 1%? Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it annually? Is it on the gross or the net? I think you're just free to decide. The Bible's really clear that we're to live generously. And for some, 10% is way too low. Because you make so much resource, God never intended you to eat 90 and give 10. He would want to flip it, and he's resourced you so well, you, you should be giving 90. You, 10% is more than enough to live on. No, but am I going to impose that on you? No, 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 no. You're free. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. You have the people of God. You should feel free. How often do you fast? Conviction. <laughs> have you ever heard of fasting? <laughs> do you do it weekly? Do you do it monthly? Is it one meal? Is it one day? Is it sporadically? You're freedom. You're free. Uh, that, that, that's, that's something you can decide to do. Jesus did fast and pray. He told his disciples when you fast and pray. But I think there's real freedom. Um, how, how are you going to educate and disciple your children if, if God's given you children? Education. Uh, is it supposed to be public, private, hybrid, home? What's the right way? You're free. Uh, how are you going to disciple your children? Are you going to do a formal catechism, uh, books and videos, uh, daily devotions, weekly devotions, send them to Miss Jamie and hope it all works out, or whatever. Um, I, there's freedom. Some things are just personal. Okay, what you get online is people with just a, we're free to make a decision and it's heard by someone, this is a to die for. If you put your kids in public education, you are destroying their future. And can you see the disconnect? Wait a minute, you're not their parent. Who are you to tell that poor parent what they're to do with their child? And just because I've made a choice doesn't mean you didn't make that choice. Can, can you just see that we all have a lot of growing to do? So here's a, the here's a radical question you need to ask with any disagreement, and then I'm going to answer three questions, and we're going to respond in worship. Do, do they, the people I'm talking to, see it as a die for, divide over, debate about, or decide personally? The truth is, most often we overinflate our personal opinion. Myself included. We overinflate our personal conviction. So wisdom, wisdom, wisdom is to say, can we take it down a notch? Is this really a die for? Are they really not a Christian if they hold this? Maybe this is a divide over. Maybe they're a Christian with a different conviction. Do we have to divide? Can't we just be a part of the same church and agree to disagree? and love one another and respect one another? Or is this even a group decision? 
can't I just let them be free to be a Christian? They have the Holy Spirit. Why do I have to dictate my opinion to everybody? Especially on secondary things that don't matter. The reason why this is important is the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is written to stop divisions in the church. Some follow Paul, some follow Cephas, some follow, follow Apollos, and some say, I just follow Jesus because all these humans are losers. And he says to the church, we are united in the Messiah. We are one body in God's view. Why are you breaking pieces off, okay? So can we learn how to have conversations? By the way, when you walked in, you didn't get a... Um, community group guide. I'm saving it for the end because I don't want to give it all away. Because now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the next nine minutes and I'm going to take three minutes on each and I'm going to give three scenarios which are questions you have asked. I didn't come up with them. You've asked. I'm going to repeat myself. I am sharing my opinion. Whose opinion? Jose's opinion. Now it's informed. It's not like thoughtless but it's an opinion. Some of these, now, every opinion I'm about to share is built on this foundation of everything we said five weeks prior. We believe in the global historic vision on human sexuality, which is one natural born man and one natural born woman in covenant relationship called marriage for life. Everything outside of that is porneia, not according to me, according to the text. Okay, so don't think I've gotten like, oh wait, he just got loosey-goosey. But I'm showing, how do I express this? Here we go. Couple of questions. Number one, how do we have meaningful conversations with Christians or churches who affirm or accept LGBTQIA as in line with scripture? How, if I'm a Jesus follower, how do, I, how do I have conversations with other Jesus followers who disagree with the biblical text that we've laid out? Uh, again, what I'm gonna ask myself first is where does this fit on the grid? Whose opinion am I giving you? My opinion. Is this a die for? So, if someone has a different understanding of human sexuality than myself, and yet they have confessed their sin to God, they've repented, turned from sin, and received Jesus Christ, and by grace through faith has said, Jesus, come rescue me. But when it comes to human sexuality, they see things differently. Is this a die for, are they not a Christian? Um, and, and hear this lovingly, I'm gonna suggest my opinion, uh, no, this is not a to die for. Because salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works so that no human can boast. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we get to grow in a biblical worldview. Now I am gonna say that this is a wrong understanding of the text. And I'm gonna disagree with the interpretation of the text. And I think if you, disagree, if, you, if you have a wrong take on the text, it will lead you to behavior that is not gonna honor God. But I am not gonna go so far as to say they are not a Christian. I would put it in the divide category. That's what I would do. Uh, so in that sense, I wouldn't hire a pastor or a staff who is affirming same-sex practice nor would I invite someone who's a volunteer leader who said, I disagree wholeheartedly with the text, I see the text differently, because the church needs to have a unified voice and a unified message and practice. Uh, although I'm not gonna say that that person is not a Christian, and again, whose opinion did I just share? My, my opinion. So if we're gonna have a discussion, if it's a to die for, uh, now, is, is that church an actual church. I'm gonna say that is, if they're actually sharing the good news of Jesus, if they've totally jettisoned biblical historic Christianity, that's a different story. But let's assume they are teaching John 3.16, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they hold that view, I'm gonna say that that's a church that needs correction. It needs to be corrected. And the right kind of leaders need to go with the right kind of leaders and wrestle with the text because I think that's an error. But I'm not gonna go so far as to say they're not a Christian. Again, that is Jose's opinion. And I would encourage you to disagree. Here's what we're doing. We're creating platforms 
to be Jesus-loving people, people who have conversations with one another. And maybe you grew up in a tradition where you're not allowed to ask any question or have any other opinion or voice your opinion. Now, not all opinions are equally correct. Truth exists. But the way we get to the truth matters. We get to the truth by talking with one another, not over one another or against one another. We talk. All right. Um, There's more I could say, but... What we're gonna do is you're gonna take that very scenario, you're gonna do that in your group. And I'm gonna invite you to share in your group what you think. And when you're in your group, hear me clearly, community group leaders and others, no one is gonna try to convince you in that group session that you're wrong. There are times to have discussions, but in your group, we simply want to hear one another's perspectives in a loving and safe way so we know where we are, so we know how to have meaningful conversations that are charitable and honest. And the goal is that you would grow in truthfulness. Because your opinion may not be fully grounded in truth and in scripture, a loving conversation in a group could be helpful. But this is not the place for your community group to shoot bullets at each other, okay? No, we wanna simply listen. Second one, should I attend? a gay wedding. And here's gonna be my answer. Whose answer? Jose's answer. It depends on the situation. So, if you attend a gay wedding, are you still a Christian? Like, is this a to die for? You attended a wedding. Have you nullified your faith? I'm I'm gonna say, no, you're still a Christian. If you attend a gay wedding, is this something we should divide over? Can I go to church with you? Will I still invite you into my community group? Can we be deep, abiding friends? I don't think this is an issue to divide over someone attending a wedding. And here's why I get to this place. Gay gay marriage is not in alignment with the scriptures. Um, So I'm not gonna officiate a gay wedding. And I wouldn't personally say it's helpful to be in the bridal party of a gay wedding because you are collectively helping them towards that blessing. Yet I can see a situation where a Christian would attend a gay wedding without, in fact, affirming gay theology. Like, Jose, I can't believe you're saying this. Yes, I'm saying this. So I'll give you some scenarios. Whose opinion? This is my opinion. Your coworker who's not a Christian, who you've been sharing Jesus with, they clearly know you're a Christian, they, they know what you believe, you disagree, and yet for whatever reason, they've invited you to be with them on their special day, and they would find it like thoughtful for you to attend, and, and you attend, and you continue to talk about Jesus in respectful ways. You were honoring their request, even though they know where you stand. Uh, in, in that case, I could see you don't have to attend, but I would see that, that if it didn't sear your conscience, if you weren't convicted about it, I could see you attending. You have a child, you have a grandchild, you have a a niece, a nephew who's gay, and they're not Christian, but they know you are a Christian, and they want their family there. They know what you believe. They know you're not in agreement with, with the road that they're taking, yet they still want you there. Now, again, I wouldn't officiate it. That's saying God is blessing it. I wouldn't recommend being in the bridal party, but they want you there. Um, you don't have to attend, but I could see a scenario where you'd say, like, I feel like in good conscience, I, I can attend and not uh, go against what I believe. Now, now, you just need to hear me. Jesus is eating with a woman who is currently living in sexual immorality. He stays two days there. Jesus is known as a drunkard, and he's not an alcoholic. He's known as a friend of prostitutes, and he never once pays for cheap sex. But why does he get this reputation? Because he seems to spend time with people that other people are pushing away. You can completely disagree. The category I put that in is a debate over. We should talk about these things. These things really matter. Um, I, I wouldn't make it a die for, I wouldn't make it a divide over. 
And I'm explaining the details, and I'm, I realize I'm putting myself up for public ridicule. I, I'm not a dummy. But I, I want to lead the way in showing we can have real conversations about differences and be respectful and thoughtful and agree in some points to disagree on matters that are secondary, okay? So one more and we're, we're done for today. We'll do this again in, in two weeks. What a cheerful day. All right, what about policies at school and work? What do we do? So I'm thinking of cases where HR or your school, like manual, um, they have policies that you have to use particular pronouns or honor gender preferences. Otherwise, you are up for harassment. What, what do you do? And that's many of your employers today. First, I would put this in the category of decide personally. This is something every Christian is gonna have to wrestle with. You, it's a matter of conscience. Do you take your Christian convictions and how do you apply that in the workplace is not for me to decide for you. A couple of thoughts I would suggest. I think Christians should work towards policies that honor the scriptures in the way of Jesus. So if there's a forum within your workplace, if there are committees, if there are focus groups where you can be a part of the conversation and present the historic biblical worldview as a valid worldview, you can, you can bring a Jesus worldview into the conversation. If we live in a democracy, we should be able to talk about things that matter and not shy away from that. So we need to be in positions, and I know business owners and leaders that I'm in conversation, that they realize part of the strategic nature of them being there and called by God is to be in the room and influence conversations. So that's a good thing. I, I would say we should work towards that. Second thing is we should honor those in authority over us. Schools and workplaces are not required to have a biblical worldview. They're not required. By the way, Paul's writing to Corinth where there is no biblical worldview. Nobody working is walking into a Christian business. They didn't exist. So you can honor Jesus. Think of Daniel, who's second in command, which means his boss is vile and godless. And yet, Daniel is given authority over the whole kingdom. Think of Joseph, given authority over the whole kingdom, and they're serving pagan Masters, they find a way to be honorable to God in an unhonorable context. But you honor the people. So if school says you, you, you have to use a particular pronoun to honor, uh, a couple of things. You can leave. Leave the school. Find a different place. If your conscience says you cannot do it, we're fortunate to live in America where we can make these choices. I would say Ask God to help you find a different school, find a different job. You don't have to stay. You can make the choice to say, because of my faith, I'm gonna find somewhere else. You say, well, they, don't, they won't pay me enough somewhere else. Trust God. If he's calling you to make that move, in good conscience, you must leave. What I'm saying is you don't have to leave, but you can if you want to. Do me a favor, leave in a good way. Don't be that Christian. The caricature, the Christian who didn't get his way, and he loves Jesus and hates everyone else. It's a caricature because it's true. Don't be petty, be loving, be kind, be respectful. By the way, your vision of Jesus to the world is the vision people see. So let's be like Jesus, who's willing to meet people where they are. What about gender transitioning and gender fluidity? I, I plan on doing that one this week, but I realize it's too much. So two weeks from now, we're gonna do a whole message because the most confusing and rapidly evolving one is about, um, is about gender fluidity. And so we're gonna have a conversation about that and work through some helpful things that we can do as God's people. You guys are amazing, look. Uh, you got three messages in one, but they matter because let's go full circle. Are we gonna be a people that actually live like Jesus? And I want us to end not thinking about, I can't believe Jose said that or he would believe that. What I want us to leave with as we return to singing and worship and communion 
is am I willing to be radical like Jesus? Where I'm less concerned with what my disciple friends think because I love this person so much, she deserves good news. And I'm gonna sit with her and talk with her and be with her because she matters even though her own countrymen don't think she matters, she matters to God. Are we gonna be those kind of people? Then the rest of the stuff, when you leave, you're gonna get a community group guide and the three questions I answered, you're gonna answer if you choose and realize not everyone in your group sees everything just like you, which is helpful. Lord, we are convinced you're the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father's love apart from you. But we're your kids, and we have all sorts of opinions, and some of them are right, and some of them are half right, and some of them are full-on, nothing but opinions. And Jesus, we want to represent you well to the world. So like the 12 that were huddled around you in Samaria, we come to you afresh, and we invite you, Lord, to reorient our hearts to the heart of God. Reorient our focus towards loving people genuinely. And you will refocus our priorities, God. We, we want to love other Jesus people who don't see all the stuff the same way. We want to we love one another too and Gosh, we just get in the way sometimes. So God, we're inviting you to reset our heart as we worship you and we say amen to whatever you're doing, God. Do the work in us, Holy Spirit, so that we'll be a church that genuinely loves one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you uh, stand to your feet? We're gonna sing songs that matter. Uh, our prayer Areas to left to right are open. If you would like prayer for anything, big or small, there's nothing greater we could do than to respond to God and say, God, I need you. So if God's tugging on your heart, if the issue has to do with this or anything else, it doesn't make a difference. We want a brother or sister to pray for you. And then after a song, we'll, we'll grab the bread and the cup. We'll remember that Jesus died and rose again to give us life.